0: The teaching text, as pastor said, is from the book of John, chapter 1. In the, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. Yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become the children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. The word of the Lord.
1: Let us pray. Jesus Christ, you came into our world to overcome your hostility with grace. Speak that grace again today and open our hearts to receive it. Amen. Brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, if you looked at the cover of your bulletin today, you may have noticed that today is something of a strange one. It's a day with two identities. On the one hand, it's Christmas Eve, part one of the two-day holiday that is Christmas, and therefore a day to celebrate already Jesus' birth and perhaps even open a present or two or ten, depending on your family tradition. On the other hand, it's the fourth Sunday of Advent, the season of waiting, of looking forward to the arrival of Jesus. Now, usually these two days have some separation from each other. Usually they are a bit more distinct. Usually there is a clearer division between that season of watchful anticipation that we call Advent And the joyful 12-day, there are 12 days of Christmas actually, 12-day celebration of Christmas, but not this year. This year, as happens uh, about every seven years or so, our seasons overlap just a little bit. So that today we stand with one foot in Advent and one in Christmas, straddling the line between hope not yet realized and joy already received. Not only is today a transition in seasons, but also in our lectionary, the schedule of readings that we've been following, for today is the first day that we move out of the Old Testament and into the New Testament. Starting today and continuing all the way till that Sunday after Easter in April, our Sunday readings will all come from the Gospel according to John. So for the next three and a half months, we will be telling the unique and wonderful stories of Jesus that are found in John's Gospel. So, since this will be our scriptural home for the next few months, let's turn our attention there. This first part of John's Gospel, these uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, and you could open up your Bibles if you want and follow along, it's often called the prologue to John's Gospel. And it's sort of an introduction that sets us up for the rest of the story to come. It starts us off by setting the stage for everything we are going to read, opening up by answering the big question right off the bat, why does the story of Jesus matter? What makes this story so important that we're still gathering to talk about it and listen to it 2,000 years later? Well, John's prologue gets right to the point. It's right there in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was, was god so why does this story matter well because it is the story of god or more specifically of god's living and creating word that word through whom everything that exists came to be this word is not like a human word It's not spoken one moment and forgotten in the next, nor is this word a powerless word that relies on its hearer to be persuaded by it. No, this word is powerful. It's powerful and enduring. This word is a word that accomplishes its purpose, a word that cannot lie because this word is itself truth. A word that once spoken calls into existence that which is spoken of, a word that does what it says. This creative word, this word who is God, yet distinct from God, this word is the person through whom and by whom the whole cosmos came into being. This is the author of life, the light which shines in the dark nothingness, the light which cannot be snuffed out. Well, all of this sounds wonderful, but there is a problem, and we read about it as we make our way through the prologue in verses 10 and 11. He, that is the word, was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. You see, this world, this creation, spoken into existence by God through God's word, has stopped hearing its creator. The creatures of God, creatures like you and like me, have stopped trusting in God to care for us and have instead become enemies of God, regarding God with suspicion and mistrust, seeking always to be free from our creator, to be our own masters, as though that would bring us real freedom. And when the ears of creation are shut to God's word in this condition that we call sin, our relationship with God is broken. And the life that is so freely given by our heavenly father, it decays and it withers and we become slaves to death. But God is not content to leave us to our fate. God is not content to let this relationship remain broken. And so God speaks in a new way in order to break through our deafness and restore to us the life that God has for us. And we read about this in verse 14. The Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory as of a Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. In God's infinite wisdom, the Word of God became a part of creation, in order to bridge the separation between us creatures and our creator. In other words, Christmas happened. In order to restore the relationship that had been broken, God did not stay aloof from us creatures, but rather became one of us, coming to us as a person we could relate to, as a, as a human being we could touch and hear and see and smell. God's word now has a face and a name. And in our language, that name is Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. And now as we read in verse 16, from this Messiah's fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. As we continue in John's gospel for the next few months, and we hear the stories of Jesus recorded there, what we will be encountering in those stories is grace upon grace upon grace. This phrase, grace upon grace, it echoes throughout John's gospel. When Jesus creates wine at an underplanned wedding, grace upon grace. When Jesus converses with a questioning Pharisee and an outcast woman, grace upon grace. When Jesus heals and raises the dead, grace upon grace. And finally, in the death and resurrection of Jesus, we hear the culmination of grace upon grace. Even though the word grace actually never itself is used again in John's gospel, every story of Jesus that it tells is a picture of the one who became flesh and lived among us, full of grace and truth. And as we go through John's gospel, those themes and images of this prologue, these first 18 verses, they show up again and again. Light and darkness, grace and truth, word and life, faith and fullness. But all that's coming up. Today, we're still in the transition. Today, we are still straddling the line between Advent and Christmas, between waiting and receiving. So let me take a moment to remind you why any of this Christmas stuff matters. It's not because it's a nice story of a baby, nor is it because it inspires us to give gifts to each other, although I am all for both babies and gifts. No, this story matters because this is the story of how God gets to you. This is the story of God's plan to repair the relationship that was broken between God and you. For the God who loved you into being was not satisfied to be separated from you by the silence of your sin. And so this God became a human, being born to a poor unwed mother, laid in a feeding trough so that he could grow up and take away your sin and defeat it at the cross and return to you with grace and peace and forgiveness and a relationship restored. In Jesus Christ, God is born for you, and his fullness has become your fullness, grace and truth and life everlasting, so that you too are named a chosen and beloved child of God, hanging on every word of your creator. If you think about it, our life here is a life of transition. Our life here is sort of always having one foot in the hopeful anticipation of Advent and one foot in already having received the joy of salvation in Jesus. And there are days when one seems stronger than the other, when it's very hard to actually feel that joy that we've received and all we can do is eagerly stretch forward and hope, hope against hope for that. And there are other days when the joy is present and real and palpable and you can't help but be carried away by it. But always, day in and day out, we stand in this time of transition and so God has given us God's Word. So that even when we can't feel that joy, we can trust in it. So that even when we can't feel that salvation or that life, we can know that God, our Heavenly Father, has promised it to us. And we can receive it, if not in, in, in feeling, in sight, then in hope and in faith. This Christmas, God is giving to you Jesus Christ again, just as God has been giving you Jesus Christ day in and day out the entirety of your lives. This Christmas, Jesus Christ is born for you, to hold that joy for you if you can't hold it, to reveal that love for you that often seems so fleeting that forgiveness and that peace that can only be trusted and rested in. This Christmas, God has come to you again. Amen.